I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is News Du Jour. Welcome to News Du Jour. You may be wondering, why am I, Annie Bowles, here hosting this podcast? I usually start by telling people I'm a political baby. You see, my parents met working on Capitol Hill. By the time I was two, I had been in my first political commercial and even got lost crawling around the West Wing. Don't worry, Al Gore found me. My family then moved abroad when I was nine, and I attended an international school in Brussels with kids from all over the world, and it is this type of global perspective that I also bring to our show. I graduated from American University in D.C. after studying political science and art history, as well as interning on both sides of Capitol Hill. I even interned down the hall from where my parents met. I'm now pursuing a professional certificate in journalism at NYU in conjunction with Rolling Stone magazine. I guess I was always that friend in the group who cared deeply about not just what was going on politically, but also globally. I often kept my own friends informed through high school and into young adulthood. So I guess I've always done a version of this show. I'm genuinely passionate about following the news, and I'm here to break it down for you guys every weekday. We always strive to be a calmer space to get your news, or as one listener put it, like getting your news from a well-informed bestie. I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back to the News Du Jour. I wanted to give you guys a little progress report because A bunch of you have been messaging me asking me when is the April episode coming out saying you're so excited to hear her story. I'm excited that you guys are excited. I'm excited to share this with you as it is a really important story to tell. That said, it was recorded in a prison. (laughs) So not the ideal recording space. There's a lot of bangs. There's humming vending machines. So I'm doing a lot of editing work. I'm also wanting to provide you guys with some context, you know, uh, statistics, a specific phone call that I think is really um, shed some light on the characters in this case. Anyway, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into it to make it perfect. So when it drops in your feed, just know This is something I've spent a lot of time on, and I hope you guys will give it a listen. So for our mini story today, it's really short, but I just thought this was kind of funny. In an awkward presidential pileup, both Trump and Biden visited the border wall yesterday. Now, I doubt they were in like the exact same location or anything like that, but I just thought it was kind of funny. They both ended up there on the campaign trail. I doubt this is the last time we'll see such a pileup happen, but it is like a really, you know, sort of hot button issue. And for the two of them to end up there at the same time, kind of crazy. But for our first longer story today, I wanted to issue a content warning. This story involves a deadly natural disaster. So we have to talk about the largest wildfires in Texas history. 
there is a massive wildfire burning in the Texas panhandle, and it has even crossed into Oklahoma a tiny bit. So far, there have been more than 1 million acres burned, you guys, according to local officials, and that makes it the largest wildfire in Texas history. About 30,000 acres in Oklahoma have been burned as well. And of course, when we talk about a big fire like this, it's oftentimes actually several smaller wildfires that are raging. In this case, it is a total of five, and they are the Smokehouse Creek Fire, the Windy Deuce Fire, the Grapevine Creek Fire, the Magenta Fire, and the 687 Reamer Fire. And the only reason I give you guys these names is in case you're hearing about the news and you hear one of those names, hopefully it'll ring a bell and you'll go, okay, that's one of the fires going on in Texas. All of these five fires are at various stages of containment, but none of them are over like as as of the time I'm recording this and when I was researching, none of them were over like 60% contained. So the situation is very scary and some of them were like 10% contained. And that is according to the Texas A&M Forest Service. There were mandatory evacuation orders in Amarillo and the surrounding areas, but other areas sort of had the choice on whether to leave or not. But some of them who did not leave felt they were genuinely surrounded by fire. Oh, my God, that is like one of my worst nightmares. And, you know, it just goes to underscore what I always say, which is, you know, listen to your local officials if they're encouraging you to leave, like if you can You know, not everybody has the means, but, you know, try with all your might to listen to them because it's your safety and that has to come first. But some Oklahomans also had to evacuate their homes here as well. As with many wildfires, wind, dryness and warm temperatures collided to create an extreme situation that caused these fires to basically spread more quickly than before. People have been relying on one another for shelter, donations, and assistance in moving livestock, things like that, because this is an agricultural hub, to remind you guys. I always say this, too, when I talk about climate, but I feel like the climate crisis and any sort of major crisis like this really brings out the best and the worst in humanity. So we have that choice when we're in a crisis mode. And, you know, I always just encourage you guys, if you ever find yourself in a sort of natural disaster scenario, help other people, you know, don't put yourself at risk. But at the same time, we have to rely on each other because we're all each other has against this enormous existential threat of the climate crisis. Meanwhile, about 26,000 customers are still without power in the state of New York due to a massive windstorm that hit the area in the past few days, along with heavy rain, thunder, and lightning. Please stay safe out there, everyone. And as always, please listen to local weather channels and officials for guidance on safety measures. Next up, I want to issue content warning here. This story involves war. So I wanted to go over some updates to do with Gaza and Israel. First and foremost, I wanted to cover the death toll in Gaza. It's important to understand that the Palestinian health ministry is essentially synonymous with Hamas. That said, about 30,000 people have been killed in Gaza, according to the Palestinian health ministry. 
and many outside organizations that study human rights, such as Amnesty International, have reached similar numbers in recent days. So, you know, without being able to get a full head count, because there are people buried under rubble, this is the neighborhood that we're talking about. Some groups even say that that 30,000 is probably a dramatic undercount, but again, it's safe to say that there has been a mass amount of civilian casualties. And speaking of which, aid seems to be becoming a target. Remember when we covered that the Israeli Navy shot at a UN truck that had coordinated an effort to bring aid into northern Gaza? Well, now there's been another incident where aid was attacked, but unfortunately with a much more deadly outcome. In this instance, there was a big aid drop. And again, as we know, aid is desperately needed in Gaza right now. So people swarmed it, just trying to get a bite to eat and other essentials. According to the New York Times, the specifics on what started the chaos seems really unclear. There have been very different accounts of what happened. But what we're going to do is just discuss what was said by each party. The Palestinian Authority, which again is Hamas, said that over 100 people died and 700 were injured, all by Israeli fire. The hospital, however, said that they received 12 dead bodies and 100 injuries. The Israeli military said that while it did fire at the crowds, most people were killed by being trampled by a stampede but they didn't give any specific numbers. Regardless, firing at a crowd of civilians is simply horrifying, and depending on the specifics, it is most likely against international law, especially with the way people are desperately trying to survive amid the mass hunger that we are seeing in Gaza. At the end of the day, it is required under international law to do everything we can to protect civilians. And it's hard to say that this was done in this instance. (laughs) When President Biden was asked if this might jeopardize negotiations to release the hostages and induce a ceasefire, he responded, quote, I know it will, end quote. And speaking of the hostages, dozens of family members for the hostages still held in Gaza are marching for four days along the Gaza border and over to Jerusalem. The movement is designed to remind the Israeli government that the hostages are still top of mind for their countrymen and to encourage their leadership to get a deal done. They symbolically began the march at the site of Riam or Reem, where the rave took place that turned into a massacre, the site of hundreds of killings, mass amounts of rape, and violent kidnappings. The demonstrators planned to walk 13 miles a day and eventually hold a rally in Jerusalem. And our last update to do with Gaza and Israel, Israeli reservists are advocating for political change. As we know, Benjamin Netanyahu is a far-right extremist leader in Israel and was widely unpopular before the war even broke out. 
And now reservists are coming back to Israel inspired by camaraderie and unity that they experienced on the battlefield. And they're channeling that into reforming Israel from the inside out. They gathered on the outside of a forest to have a campfire and discuss the topic of change. They described to Western news outlets that they felt this extreme sense of unity immediately following October the 7th, and then in the military, that feeling carried forward. But once they came back home since then, they have found Israel to be more extremely divided than ever before. They want to bring that same sense of belonging and unity back to their countrymen. As a reminder, Israel has a mandatory service in the Israeli army. So everyone participates. There is not a type that ends up there. Everyone does. So you naturally get to know people in the military from all different backgrounds, all different mindsets, all different walks of life. Everyone from like Orthodox Jews to Bedouins to, you know, secular Jews who barely practice. Everyone in the military there runs the political, religious, and professional gamut. You'll literally have, as the New York Times described it, a, quote, settler from the occupied West Bank next to a high-tech entrepreneur from Tel Aviv, end quote. But their ability to rely on one another and work together is literally life and death in the military. So they bond in those high stress situations with people they may never encounter otherwise. And now they want to see those bonds extended to the whole of Israel and especially the Israeli government. You see, right now, Netanyahu has just kind of taken the ball and run. And what they are advocating for is something called a unity government for this emergency situation, which would provide a little balance to Netanyahu's really extremist vision here and require that they set an election date for before the end of the year, where Netanyahu will almost certainly be voted out. Switching out the leadership in Israel would also obviously change the fate of Gazans. A leader who focuses more on Hamas specifically, the hostages, and who protects innocent lives more ardently, as I understand is central to the Jewish identity. The unity group is called Tikkun, and they are meeting with political activists who led the pre-war protests, as well as lawmakers who on the far right. So they're really running the political spectrum. And don't you worry, they're getting hate from both sides of the political spectrum. If you even attempt neutrality or to be in the middle, you're going to get it from both sides. It's actually one of the hardest places to be. We'll definitely keep you guys posted on Tikkun's development. Last up for today, we're going to venture over to Vanderpump Rules land and discuss two pieces of Vanderpump Rules news. So two pretty serious drama bombs have been dropped in the Vanderpump Rules world in the past 24 hours. So given the timing with Friday, I figured we'd go ahead and cover them today. The first update is that Rachel Levis has sued Tom Sandoval and Ariana Maddox over leaking the FaceTime video that Tom recorded allegedly without her consent. Ariana has said directly 
that she never distributed the video or even had it on her phone and that she would never do that to another woman. So hopefully she's telling the truth about that and can clear up these charges quickly. But Tom, on the other hand, could face some very serious consequences for recording the video without her knowledge. And who knows? He may even have more that he is keeping and we don't even know about yet. The second update is that Jax and Brittany are taking some time apart, which, you know, I feel like if you knew Jax, you just felt like, you know, no relationship with him was ever really going to work out, or at least that's where I landed. I don't know if he's capable of being faithful, but right now, as we are hearing, they might, well, all of this was coming on the edge of when rumors were flying that they were going to have their own reality show or be on a different reality show. Obviously, Jax was part of the House of Villains situation, which actually, ironically, I just started today just literally to see what he was going to do on there. But there was also a show called The Valley that I thought was coming out where it's going to, you know, feature all the different reality TV stars that live in the valley. And I thought Jax and Brittany were going to be on that show. So I don't know where things stand with that, but she revealed on their podcast that she has moved into a different house and they are currently separated. She said she wanted to be open and transparent with her audience because she's been getting this flood of DMs. And ironically, one of you guys actually messaged me about this picture of Jax and his PR agent. They were looking like very cuddly, but I just felt like they were on a trip for PR things. And like, I take pictures with coworkers sometimes that like, you know, we're just close because we spend a lot of time together. I don't know. To me, it didn't seem like they were like banging or anything like that. But a lot of you guys seem to think that it looked too close for comfort and you guys might have been on to something. So anyway, if it comes out that he's dating her or anybody else, I will be sure to keep you guys posted. And that for today is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote. You learn to speak by speaking, to study by studying, to run by running, to work by working. And so you can learn to love God and man by loving. Begin as a mere apprentice and the very power of love will lead you on to become a master of the art. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on that platform or a shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us to be able to keep creating the news du jour and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugar free media and that is also linked in our show notes you can follow us on social media at news du jour dot podcast on both instagram and tiktok you can follow my personal account at it's annie bowls on both platforms as well any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup he has a little separation anxiety and always records with me We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from... Uh